You're listening to audio from Stapleton Baptist Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit stapletonbaptistchurch.org. We pray this message blesses you. All right. I'm excited to begin preaching this morning through a book of the Bible again. I enjoyed the two short series that we did over the last few months in our series on money, then our series on Advent, but I'm excited to be back preaching through a book. That's where I'm most comfortable, and more importantly, that's what I believe is most fruitful and beneficial for God's people as well. Because what you need most and what I need most is more of God's Word. Topical series can be helpful. Uh, Series that address needs and certain issues can be beneficial at times, but the main diet of preaching for God's people should be God's word as it is. In 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul gives this charge to a younger pastor, Timothy, and he, Paul tells him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So his main charge and my main charge as a preacher is to rightly handle the word of God. I want to open up God's word to you, explain what it means and apply it to our lives. Any amount of creativity or rhetorical skill that God's given me that I can bring to the table, that's great. But the ultimate goal is to bring God's word to bear upon our hearts and minds. And that's my goal And to fully understand any given passage of Scripture, we really need to know the context of that Scripture. It's dangerous just to flip open your Bible, take a verse out, and try to understand it just on its own. We need to know the context. We need to know the verses that surround that verse. We need to know the chapter that that verse is located in. We even need to know the context of the book that that verse is in to really understand what that verse means. And that's why preaching through a book of the Bible is the most reliable way to preach the word. And so today we're going to be doing that beginning a journey through the book of Acts. Now, anytime you plan on studying a book of the Bible, uh, even if it's just on your own in your personal time, you're going to read through a certain book I would always first recommend uh, getting some basic background information on that book, like who wrote it, who was it written to, why did they write it, what are some of the major themes. If you know that basic information before you start the book, then as you read through it, it's going to make a lot more sense more quickly. It'll be, you'll be much more efficient in your understanding of what you're reading. And so today is going to be a bit of an introduction to the book of Acts. And so for all those that aren't here today, it's y'all's job to fill them in on these details. So y'all have a lot of responsibility to listen today. Now, to begin with, who wrote Acts? Though the book never names the author, the author never names himself, there's never really been any doubt in church history that Luke is the writer of Acts. This is the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a physician, also a bit of a historian, and a, an occasional companion of Paul in his later missionary journeys. Now the main proof of his authorship of Acts is the fact that Acts and Luke are both addressed to this same person named Theophilus. 
So Acts 1.1, as Daniel just read, addresses this person named Theophilus. And then in Luke 1.3, it says that that gospel was written as an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus. So we don't know who Theophilus was, but, but he links both these books together. It was common in the ancient world for people to write a book and dedicate it to a certain person or address it to a certain person, usually someone of... Uh, nobility or someone of importance. And so we have this undeniable link between Luke and Acts. In fact, Luke and Acts are really a two-volume piece of literature. If you look at Acts 1.1, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And so he references his first book. What might that be? It's his gospel, Luke. Luke's first book is the life and ministry of Jesus, and now here in Acts, we have the sequel. We have book two, and Acts picks right back up where Luke left off at the ascension of Jesus. In the early church, Acts, Luke and Acts were really meant to be, I guess, sent around together, but early on in church history, they began compiling the four gospel accounts together, and so Luke was kind of separated from Acts, but they really are a two-volume set. Most likely, Luke wrote Acts during the 60s, and I'm not talking about the 1960s. I'm talking about the 60s with nothing in front of it. Um, If it helps to develop a bit of a mental timeline in your head, you could imagine uh, Jesus' birth being year 1 AD, and then his uh, death and resurrection occurring around 34 AD. And so Luke wrote his two volumes, likely about 30 years or so after Jesus's ascension and return to heaven. So that's relatively soon after it happens. That adds to the reliability of what Luke records. You know, every book of the Bible is, of course, God's very word and is meant to be treasured and lived by. But the book of Acts is of particular importance to us for a couple reasons. One reason is that it contains the history of the early church. Acts is a gold mine for believers of all eras because it, it shows us how the very first Christians lived. It shows us how the very first churches operated. It shows us their struggles and their triumphs. It shows us what God intended for his church to be and how much he could accomplish through his people when they're uh, dedicated together to his purposes. And what a relevant history for us today. The thing is, when we look at the history of the church in Acts, even though it was nearly 2,000 years ago, it's not looking at just some foreign people that we have no, uh, no idea how to apply it. We'll actually find that there are some very similar circumstances for us today. You know, we live in a society and world that is increasingly uneasy or even hostile to the Christian faith. How do we live faithfully for Christ in times like these? Well, thankfully, Acts shows us Christians who were facing intense persecution at times, and yet they faithfully live for Christ. So how relevant for us today. It shows us that it can be done. We're also living in an ever-changing world. Through globalization and the movement of people around the world, we can find ourselves coming in contact, even here in South Alabama, with people of all different religions and races and ethnicities and nationalities. We are an increasingly diverse world, 
And so, again, how can we faithfully live for Christ in such a diverse culture? And thankfully, Acts shows us Christians doing that very thing, taking the good news, the same good news of Jesus Christ from one city across all kinds of different countries and nationalities and to people with all different backgrounds and religions and bringing it to bear upon them. And it shows us that we can do that faithfully. Acts is such an incredible source of encouragement and motivation for God's people. And so Acts is important because it contains the history of the church. And then the second reason Acts is important is that it helps make sense of the New Testament as a whole. You know, without Acts, we wouldn't have any background information on Paul, or hardly any. And without info on Paul's story, how could we trust any of his letters? How would we know his credibility as a, uh, his claim to be an apostle? And we wouldn't be able to trust any of his letters, which makes up a, a quite a big portion of the New Testament. So Acts really serves as a major bridge piece between the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. It helps make sense of it all. So Acts is written by Luke sometime around AD 60 or a few years after, but what is the purpose of the book? The purpose isn't explicitly stated. When we studied the Gospel of John, John gave us a clear statement of why he wrote it, but in Acts the purpose isn't explicit, but it can actually be found in the first verse. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Notice that word, began. Luke's gospel was all about Jesus' beginning, everything from his birth to his ascension. If his first book is about all that Jesus began to do, then it's implied that his second book is all about what Jesus continues to do. Which brings me around to mentioning the title of the book. Now, the titles of the books in your Bible aren't necessarily uh, inspired scripture. The, the names were given you know, later on in church history. Um, so we can talk about the titles and not be sacrilegious or anything. Um, but in your book, it, we refer to this as the book of Acts. In your Bible, it probably says Acts in big letters, and then in smaller type, it might say of the apostles underneath it. Now, the name Acts of the Apostles was given to the book quite a long time ago. And Luke likes to use the term apostle both in his gospel and in Acts. Apostle isn't a word that we find in our normal vocabulary, but it is an important term in the New Testament. So it's helpful for us to really define what an apostle is. In general, the word apostle means messenger. It's someone who is sent or commissioned to deliver a message. But in the New Testament sense, it takes on a more important role. Not just anyone is an apostle. Not everyone who even spreads the message of Jesus is considered an apostle. Instead, it was a specific office or title given by Jesus to specific people. In particular, he gives it to his 12 disciples. Luke 6.13 says this, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Acts 1-2 affirms this by referencing the apostles whom he had chosen. So they had a unique authority and role given to them by God for that specific time. And we'll talk a little bit about, more about that next week. 
So the book of Acts follows the acts or actions of the apostles. That's why it's called Acts. And it especially revolves around those like Peter and John and later Paul. And that's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. But that title itself actually sells the book a little short. I think there could be a better title for it. Most scholars and commentators agree that it's not the most accurate title. And that's because this isn't just a book about some men and women who did some cool stuff. This is a book about Jesus Christ working and changing the world through the Holy Spirit and his apostles. So a more accurate title might be actually the acts of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and his apostles. We don't want to take Jesus Christ out of the book of Acts. If Luke is all about what Jesus began to do, then Acts is all about what Jesus continues to do. Remember, Jesus isn't confined to the Gospels. His work isn't over on the cross. In fact, it's more like it's just getting started. So don't box Jesus in between Christmas and Easter, as if his birth was the beginning and his ascension is the ending. Jesus is still at work today. And that's why Luke says his first book dealt with all that Jesus began to do, because now in his second book, he's dealing with all that Jesus continued to do. He is still very much at work today, but now it's on an even grander scale through the Holy Spirit and through his apostles. Now, if you're with us throughout our study in the Gospel of John last year, this wouldn't be a surprise at all. From Jesus's teachings in John 14 and John 16, we saw that the Holy Spirit really has a what we call a floodlight ministry. The Holy Spirit is continually shining the light back on Jesus Christ in his teachings. He's bringing to remembrance the teachings of Jesus. He's empowering people to carry out the commands of Jesus. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit in John 16:14, he says, "He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you." All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit always points us back to Jesus. And as we make our way through Acts, we'll see that the Holy Spirit takes on a more prominent role in the Christian life. But the whole time, he's still continuing the work that Jesus began. So even though this book is known as the Acts of the Apostles, keep in mind that this is really a book about the continued work of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll get to look at the first few verses in just a moment, but I want to make one more note about this book. You know, in the most basic sense, Acts is a history book. It's a, his, it's a historical piece of literature documenting the early beginnings of Christianity. In that way, it's similar to the Gospels or much of the Old Testament that is narrative historical literature. Because of that, we have to approach it a little differently than we would a book like Ephesians or 1 Peter or Hebrews. Those books aren't history. They are letters of encouragement or instruction written for Christian living. It's simpler to apply those books. But when it comes to narrative historical pieces in the Bible like Acts, we have to decide if the passage we're reading is prescriptive or descriptive. So prescriptive or descriptive descriptive. Prescriptive, meaning that it prescribes something that we should do, or it's telling us how we should live. On the other hand, it could be descriptive, meaning it's simply describing what happened back then. It's telling us what happened. And that's an important distinction to make when we're looking at a passage of scripture. 
Some passages are easier to decide which one it is. For example, in a couple weeks, we'll get to the passage where the Holy Spirit's poured out on the day of Pentecost. And there, all the disciples are gathered together praying. A great wind shakes the building that they're in. It says tongues of fire appears over their heads, and they all start prophesying and speaking in tongues. So is that prescriptive or descriptive? Is that something we should try to replicate here, or is that something that was a unique and singular event? Now, I don't think anyone in here today is probably expecting that to happen right here with us today. So I think it's obvious that that is a descriptive passage telling us about something that happened. And particularly, that was the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. But we'll also see many other passages that'll be a little bit less clear, whether it's prescriptive and descriptive. We'll have to examine the scripture carefully and prayerfully to decide. Some people can get carried away looking at all the miracles and prophesying and speaking of tongues in the book of Acts, and they can kind of focus on that to an extreme, trying to replicate that today. But then on the other hand, some people just look at it completely as just a historical document and maybe rob themselves of the power of the Holy Spirit that seems to be available there. And so we don't want to fall into either ditch. We want to try to go down the middle and try to understand and apply it rightly to our lives. I've been looking forward to beginning this book for, for quite a few months now, and I really can't think of better timing for it. I feel like we as a church are primed and ready to get to work for God. Uh, I, over, the, over the past year, I think we've been able to see as a church just how much need that there is in our community and in our neighboring communities. Through our Trunk or Treat event, I think we saw just how many families are within very close distance of our church. And just think of the wide variety of people who are in our community. There are rich and there are poor. There are educated, there are uneducated. There's old and there's young. There's families, there's singles, there's doctors, bankers, teachers, mechanics, pilots, nurses, farmers, engineers, realtors, cashiers, waitresses, and everything in between. But they all have one thing in common. They all need Jesus Christ. But who's going to tell them? Last year, we spent nine months studying the Gospel of John. And I'll say the main theme of that was knowing. It was all about knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ, the Messiah, knowing the good news that God still loved the world, that he gave his only son. It was all about knowing But this year, as we move into Acts, the theme is going to shift from knowing to going. The gospel cannot lie dormant. It doesn't just sit around. The gospel has to move. The good news has to spread. It's not good news if no one hears it. See, Acts is a book all about action. It's, It's in the name, Acts. There's a whole lot of praying and a whole lot of going in the book of Acts. That's the pattern that we kind of see. It's pray and go, pray and go. So I'm just excited to start this year studying the book of Acts while also spending 21 days in intentional prayer as a church, offering ourselves up to God to be used by him however he wants. And that's really all despite everything else that's going on in the world around us. But that's how really... The Christian faith has moved for the last 2,000 years. 
The gospel has continued to spread and nothing has been able to stop it. No plague, no virus, no disease can stop it. No president, no dictator, regime, or political party can stop it. Satan himself cannot stop the good news of Jesus Christ from spreading. And we as followers of Christ are called and equipped to take part in the incredible expansion of the kingdom of God. And so with that being said, I want us to just look at the first five verses of Acts 1 this morning before we close. So if you're there in your Bibles in Acts 1, would you read with me beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As I said, Acts is a sequel to the book or to the Gospel of Luke. His gospel ends with Jesus ascending to heaven. And now here in Acts, it overlaps just a little bit by beginning right before the ascension. Luke provides us with some details about the time between the resurrection and the ascension. We find out that for 40 days, in a 40-day period, Jesus appeared to his disciples. That doesn't mean he appeared to them for 40 straight days, but it was within that 40 days that he would periodically appear to them. Luke also seems to want to emphasize that Jesus presented himself alive to them by many proofs. So Luke is wanting his readers to know that Jesus was in fact alive. He was raised from the dead. And we know it, according to Luke, because he physically appeared to people again and again. It says by many proofs. There are eyewitnesses. He proved he was alive. The resurrection is something that we'll see the apostles and the disciples continually pointing back to, to prove that Jesus, what he said, is true, and that he is who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's something that we need to know and believe today as well. If Christ is not alive, if he's not risen from the grave, then we have no hope. Christianity is just one big joke. It's a sham. There would be no power in it. But Jesus was, in fact, raised from the dead and today sits victoriously at the right hand of the Father. And that changes everything. Because he's alive, we have a living hope. Because he's alive, we have a mediator between man and God. Because he's alive, Jesus is praying and interceding for us at this very moment. Because he's alive, we know the promises of God have not failed. Because he's alive, we can face anything this world throws at us. As 1 John 4, 4 tells us, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus is alive. And after the resurrection, what was Jesus' focus? Verse 3 tells us that he appeared to them 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. See, Jesus' focus after his resurrection is still the same as it was before. He's focused on the kingdom of God. But Jesus is about to physically leave his disciples. How will this ragtag group of followers be able to continue the work that he began without him there? Jesus had been the glue that held them together. And even then, the disciples still showed that they often didn't understand what he said 
or in Peter's example, that under pressure they might actually fall away. How can they possibly be entrusted with continuing Jesus' kingdom work? Well, the answer is in verse 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is leaving them, but he isn't leaving them alone. In fact, Jesus told the disciples that it's better that he leaves them so that he can send the helper, the Holy Spirit. It's to their advantage that he leaves so the Holy Spirit can come just as he promised he would. And it's the Holy Spirit continuing the work of Christ that will equip and enable the disciples to continue the work of the kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit that will bring clarity to Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that will empower them with boldness and confidence. It's the Holy Spirit that will bind them together in love and unity. And Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit is given because he is vital to the work. And when I read these first five verses in Acts, it shows me that God's plan is still intact and on track. If you finish one of the Gospels, at the end you might be kind of wondering, you know, Judas, one of his disciples, completely betrayed him. Jesus was killed and he's resurrected, but now what? But when you begin looking at the beginning of Acts, it shows you that God's plan is still completely on track and the plan is still intact. You see, the cross was not a failure. The cross was not even a hitch in the plan. The cross was the exact means that God intended to use to fulfill his promise of a savior, of the lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And now the Holy Spirit is coming just as Jesus promised and just as prophets like Joel and Ezekiel and Isaiah promised that God's spirit would one day be poured out on all mankind. And it's through the power of the spirit that the followers of Christ will carry out the great commandment and the great commission. And through this book, we we will see that the gospel, it, it begins with a small group of around 120 in one city in Jerusalem, and then slowly from there will spread across the Mediterranean to places like North Africa, to places like Greece, and then eventually to the capital of the world at that time, to Rome itself. And that's the acts of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit and his apostles. And my prayer is this, that, that each week as we move through the book of Acts, over the next few months, that we would fill and heed the summons to take part in that same mission, the same mission that began with these disciples. See, Acts isn't just about what Jesus continued to do. It's also about what Jesus continues to do today, this very day. Acts is an invitation to answer the call and obey Christ in living a truly Christ-centered life today that reflects the gospel to everyone around us. And my hope is that in the year of 2021, we would get to work for God like never before, that we would reach our community like never before, that we would see God at work in us and through us like never before because we're joining him in his mission. And all the glory be to God when we do that. And I know today in a in a emptier room than usual, um, you know, this seems kind of counterintuitive that, that, that we can be excited, that we can, that we can be trusting God even when we're kind of scattered all over the place right now. 
But the reason is because we know it's not up to us. It's not just the acts of the apostles. It's not just the acts of Josh Vance or whoever else. It's not just the acts of the people at Stapleton Baptist. It's actually the acts of our risen Lord Jesus Christ through his people here at Stapleton Baptist. And because of that, we know we can get to work and we can take God at his word despite everything going on in the world around us, knowing that his gospel will continue and his kingdom will continue expanding each and every day. And we get to be a part of that. Would you pray with me?